0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com.
1: 708 on CJD. welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, how are you tonight? Excellent. Back uh, from a nice uh, weekend away after uh,
2: an, a Wonderful tax season. Yes, it sounds like it was wonderful. Have you recovered?
1: Uh, recovered from tax season or my weekend away? Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he prefers to, to remain silent on that issue. Uh, Josh, we're talking law tonight, and in studio with us is lawyer David Sternthal of Sternthal Katz Nelson Uh Mr. Sternthal, welcome.
0: Thank you very much for having me this evening.
1: You know, Dan, we, we've had you know a
2: couple of other law firms on the on the show but it never ceases to amaze me, you know, it's not about just servicing the client, it's about running the practice. But, as David will explain to us, it's really about both, because one goes absolutely hand in hand with another. So let's get the show right on the road. And uh, David, again, welcome. And maybe you can tell us a little bit what SKM does today to service its clients.
0: Well, we probably do exactly what we do today, what we did 35 years ago. Uh, our first most important concern is our client and giving our client good service. Um, that is the overriding concern that has basically governed our practice over the years, and that really has never changed. The client has always come first, and servicing the client and being certain the client is happy is paramount.
2: In what areas of practice does has the firm grown to? Like, what do you do today for your clients from a, an areas of practice standpoint?
0: Well... Our practice primarily is a corporate commercial practice. We have a fully staffed litigation department. We do commercial transactions, corporate restructurings, financings. Um, So our clientele is varied. Um, To basically say what we do differently today than what we did years ago is the practice of law is slightly more complex. The issues are not as practical and simple as they were. The laws basically have evolved where you need to have an expertise in your area, um, and keep up to date with the changes in the law.
2: Now, where did you get started? How did how did S.K.M. or how did David Sternthal get into his own firm?
0: Well, I started at a major corporate law firm in the city. I then moved to another law firm, and um, I then left that law firm with my then partner, David Katznelson, and. Uh, two other attorneys, and we formed at that time uh, a firm known as Chate Sternfeld Ketz nelson Montigny, which today is known as Sternfeld Ketz nelson Montigny, which we refer to as SKM.
2: Now, why why would you leave an existing practice? I, I know you, you likely weren't a partner, but was there something different that you just had the feeling you needed to start on your own?
0: I always had the desire to run my own business. Um, so I had very good grounding in the firms I was with. Um, the gentleman who I formed the practice with had a desire to, like myself, strike it on our own, and uh, we started that. It's the entrepreneurial spirit that's within you. Uh, it's something that drives you. It's not always explicable, but it was there. and. Um
1: when lawyers are trying to set up a business, well, there must be an enormous amount of paperwork involved. Was it hard to sort of form that partnership and, uh, and make sure everything was copacetic before you went into this business?
0: Uh, you'll be amazed. Um, at the beginning, we had no partnership agreement. We were four attorneys. And we knew each other well. Uh, we had full faith in each other, and uh, there was not that much paperwork. It was basically opening our doors, servicing our clients, and hoping people would walk in when we first started.
2: Now, is that something you believe in today? You still, I mean, you know, is your word your bond? Do you, with your, you have paper? Do you, what do you believe in? What do you think works for today's entrepreneur?
0: (laughs) To me, my word is my bond, but yes, we do have written documentation and agreements. Our firm has evolved, it's larger than it was, and um, the practice is not as simple. There's questions of succession, questions of attorneys who withdraw. You need a document, in fact, the agreements you have with yourselves.
2: Now, when you first started your, the firm, what was the biggest concern? Were you worried about clients coming in? Uh, would you worry about getting the right talent to, to help service your clients? What was the first concern and how'd you overcome that?
0: Well, the first concern we had with clients coming in, uh, you're never certain what will walk through the door when you first open it. We were very fortunate um, from the day we started, uh, we had a decent clientele, and over time it grew into a substantial and significant clientele.
2: Now these clients that uh, I guess word-of-mouth, did you do any marketing back then or uh, like I'm, I'm not sure how the, the law community operated uh, 35 some odd years ago?
0: Well when we left uh, my client, my then partner David Katzelson had a clientele and effectively uh, he was older than we were uh, yes we marketed ourselves uh, we basically established relationships with accountants, uh, we Try to uh, make the world know that we were here and ready to serve any client that would want to entertain using our services.
2: Now you were four partners when you first began, correct? Correct. Was it similar roles? Did you overlap? Did you all share a vision?
0: No, we shared a vision. Um, The vision was we wanted to give the best possible service to our client. We wanted to, in fact, um, Grow and have our firm grow. We wanted to establish ourselves within the legal community. Um, we wanted to establish expertise and offer a degree of professionalism. And the most important thing was our clients.
2: Now you know we, we hear we hear this so often. There's partnerships. There's not always on the, They are not always on the same page. There's a lack of vision. And now we're talking about a group of lawyers, a group of lawyers that actually agree with each other. So that's that's unique in and of itself. But to share a vision, I mean, as entrepreneurs go in and they're not alone and they have other partners, it's important before you go in, do you share a vision? Because you might disagree on some of the particulars, but if you share that goal, if you're all looking three, five, 10, 15 years down the road and you share that vision, that's something that's hugely important and entrepreneurs really have to embrace that with their partners. And when we come back, we'll, we'll kind of listen to David and see how that relationship with his partners uh, have evolved over the years.
1: Lawyer David Sternthal on today's Entrepreneur this evening. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller-Landau. And our guest this evening is lawyer David Sternthal of SKM. Now, we were talking about partners and visions
2: and, and everybody sharing. David, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on the roles of your partners when you first started and how that might have evolved.
0: Well, when we first started, we were four partners, four lawyers. Today, we're a larger firm. And from that perspective, um, we're very fortunate because members of our firm are thoroughly, thoroughly professional. They really, we work as teams. Uh, we divide areas of the practice. We have a fully staffed litigation department. And our continued success really is based on the fact that we interrelate with each other. And they're a group of dedicated attorneys at our office whose interests primarily is our client. And so we've shifted from individual focuses to areas where attorneys work as teams to service the client.
2: So do you always agree with each other?
0: Uh, Lawyers never agree with each other, but the important thing is we talk to each other. And as I said, um, the success of our firm is based on the attorneys that in fact are part of it. Our attorneys have appeared at all levels of the courts, Supreme Court, Court of Appeal, Superior Court, Federal Court. We have outstanding lawyers in the commercial practice who um, basically work together, one with each other. We support each other. We may differ, but the bottom line is we want to get the right decision for our client.
1: It must be difficult to argue with lawyers, and as your partners, uh, is it tough to sort out problems? And, And how do you sort out problems if there's a deadlock?
0: Uh, we talk about them, uh, we discuss them, we analyze them. We don't always, as you say, agree, but um, we, if we differ, we understand that at the end of the day, uh, our clients' basic perspective is what we must basically deal with. And so we're motivated by serving our clients and uh, by consensus. Not everyone gets their viewpoint accepted, but uh, we discuss issues among ourselves.
2: I believe uh, some of the partner or the partners that exist today uh, are a little bit different, or added on from the original partners. Can you explain a little bit how that shift happens? How it, whether by osmosis or by choice?
0: Um, in part by osmosis, in part by choice. David Katselson retired; other partners left. Uh, I'm the last of the original partners, and um, I tend to work to the day I die. I hope my partners don't mind that, but um, the choice just happened over time. Uh, people had different interests. They devoted a lifetime of work and they just decided at certain times they wanted to do other things. So we were fortunate. We had great lawyers and lawyers are with us today and they stepped up. They basically went into the roles that these, my other partners basically filled. And our team has done an outstanding job on all levels. I mean, aside from the commercial financings, we, we do intellectual property. We have lawyers who keep up to date
2: I would imagine when you have uh, this shift, this moving on of partners, stepping up of other people that there needs to be a leader. What does leadership mean to you and how has that helped grow the firm?
0: Well, leadership to me is inspiring the most important point, doing what's best for your client, servicing your client, uh, doing the best you can on your files, being certain that what you do is right and accurate. Um, Of course, there's another side to it. You have to look at the financial aspects of your partnership. You've got to look at the financial aspects of your firm. Um, That is not as easy. Lawyers are not the greatest people in terms of keeping records, time, etc. They concentrate in giving good service, but we have to be certain. We collect our receivables. We meet our obligations.
2: And I guess it's sometimes difficult to, to, to handle or make the decision, you know what? Somebody's moving on. That's okay. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's make the best of it.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, uh, firms grow, attorneys grow older, but the key is to let the firm continue and uh, focus on what has always been important, your client and your client's interests. And that's first and paramount in our firm. That's what I try to impart to the firm.
2: And David, you mentioned the financial aspect and running a business, running a firm, still involves billing, it still involves collections, and still involves dollars at the bottom line that, that help to be distributed. And when we come back from the break, uh, looking to hear a little bit more on how that part of the business uh, has, been, uh, has been run.
1: Lawyer David Sternthal of SKM on Today's Entrepreneur on CJ80. Welcome back. Our guest is Lawyer David Sternthal of SKM and uh, Josh, we're talking about difficult clients. Well, I think we're, we're,
2: we're also talking about dealing with the finances and they do go hand in hand sometimes. Uh, and I'm wondering, we were talking with David and he says, you know, you've got to deal with the billings and collections and certainly uh, whether it's an accounting firm or a law firm or any professional practice, you gotta do, you gotta, the business has to run, it has to have revenues, it has expenses, it has billings and it has collections. So David, maybe you can kind of recount to us uh, what kind of has worked for you and what you look for as managing partner of the firm.
0: Um- Running a firm is not simple because attorneys have constantly to be reminded about their receivables, their collections, their time, how efficiently they use it. Um, Bearing that in mind, they have to couple that with providing the best possible service. And so as a managing partner, I have to look at the hours they spend. I have to look at the results they generate. I have to look at the billings they create. And I have to look at what they collect. Because at the end of the day, unfortunately, um, without collections, funding, receivables, uh, your firm will just grind to a halt. People will not be happy if you don't make money.
2: Is this something that's historical? Do you look back? Do you look forward? Do you monitor... Uh, on a periodic basis, how do you how do you operate that within the firm? What kind of criteria do you set? What do your partners have to kind of deliver to you?
0: Well, with it was very easy to track these key parameters. Um, so we speak to partners and to lawyers, and we check their hours that they deliver. We try to encourage them to basically. Um, grow their clientele. We try to basically encourage them to uh, enlarge their expertise through professional training and continued training. Um, These are not simple things with attorneys um, but it's something that you have to sit down with your attorneys and say where are you going? What billings do you anticipate? Where are your hours? Um, Why are you collecting or not collecting? And uh, these are issues we face on a monthly, weekly basis.
2: Yeah, so there's a, there's a real frequency to it. This is not something you check once a year. That would be bad.
0: No, we check this constantly. We are constantly checking time records. We're constantly looking at time expended on files. And as I said, the overriding concern is servicing the client. But of course, with servicing the client, we have to be certain the attorneys don't lose sight of the fact that they have to account for their time and they have to bill it out in a meaningful manner.
2: Do they learn over time? You know, lawyers. You know, don't necessarily go to business school. I don't know if you went to business school. I did. Oh, so is that something that you picked up? Hey, you know what? I have to run. I have to service my client first. That's first and foremost. But I got to bill and collect. Otherwise, you know, where am I going to be tomorrow? So is that is that difficult to train an individual to know that that's an important factor?
0: It's not a simple thing for an attorney to learn. Uh, Just recording your time seems very elemental, but attorneys are not good timekeepers. Simply billing your files should be elemental, but attorneys don't think about bills. Um, So you have to bring this business aspect to the practice and deal with attorneys. It's not something that's ingrained in the profession of law. It's something that because law has expanded, clients are larger and Services are more complex. Running an office is not the same as it was when there were four of us.
2: And I presume it forms part of their evaluation on an annual basis.
0: Uh, the yes, but as I said, there are many ways to evaluate attorneys. One through intellectual contributions. One through extraordinary um, achievements in transactional aspects or before the courts. And there is, of course, the most important aspect, and that is keeping the client happy, servicing him correctly, and being certain at the end of the day he feels he's been treated fairly and that his interests have been protected.
2: Difficult to measure?
0: Very difficult in some instances.
2: But I guess, you mentioned that technology, the ad- advance or the advances in technology certainly helped from a dollars and cents standpoint, but I guess there are some subjective factors that still need to play a role.
0: Uh, there are subjective factors. Um, there are attorneys who are extraordinary in the services they perform. They have, you know, we, we have attorneys who plead before the courts, some of them who are outstanding attorneys, um, but recording their time is not something they may always think about. They're more concerned about moving the file forward, protecting the client's interests, and secondarily, looking at the time.
2: And as we talk about the financial and the billing collections, it's naturally going to lead us to have you ever fired a client, David? So when we come back from the break, I'm interested to hear uh, if there's a story about that.
1: Today's Entrepreneur continues on CJAD. Coming up to 7.35, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening is lawyer David Sternthal of Sternthal, Nelson Montigny, Montney. SKM and David uh, lawyers are running a business too and sometimes you just get clients that just drive you nuts and sometimes it gets to the point where you have to say mm, maybe it's best you shop somewhere else and that applies to law firms too
0: yeah well in our case the, the one instance I had where I had to say this to a client is when we simply told him we did not think he had a case and that he would be best not to proceed At which point he said to me David uh, you're not for us because effectively, if you don't believe in my case, I'll go elsewhere. Well, he did go elsewhere, and he lost a substantial amount of money, and then he was back in our office asking us to handle the appeal. And I simply said to him, there's no point spilling good money after bad. Our position hasn't changed. Now we have to tell our clients when they have good cases when they don't have cases sometimes clients take offense because they really are not concerned with the legal perspective they just want you to pursue their point mm-hmm. in this instance this was an important point client, and uh... we had to let him go because we wouldn't handle something we didn't believe in
1: that's interesting because in a sense it would have been more profitable for you to sort of keep going with a bad case
0: uh, yes but unfortunately um, or fortunately from my perspective we don't practice law that way. If we don't believe in the case, our first duty is to tell the client that. Um, it's not about money, it's about giving the proper service. Sometimes clients don't appreciate being told they don't have a case, but that's comes with the territory. That's what lawyers have to do, advise their client of what they feel and believe is the right course of action.
2: And I guess that's that's a philosophy, management philosophy, business philosophy, that you ensure permeates throughout the firm
0: that to me is the essence of what we do we have to tell our clients what's in their best interest their interests come first we then have to basically marry their interests and be certain we do it efficiently to the best of our ability and we basically give them a meaningful service
2: there's many many entrepreneurs many businesses that that have their management team that kick around ideas, talk about their customers uh, and to kind of feed off each other. Do you guys do that with cases? Do you do that with clients? Do you feed off each other to say you know is it worthwhile or not? What's the best route to go? Uh, How close do you keep that communication
0: going? Uh, That's key to the operation of our firm. It's the interaction among the attorneys. It's the constant dialogue we have. It's the ability to exchange perspectives and the ability to talk with each other about issues. That's where a boutique law firm, I think, is heads and shoulders above a large law firm. We constantly dialogue, we constantly talk, we have lunch with each other, Uh, we interchange and exchange information, and we constantly deal with our clients' interests and everyone is aware of the issues.
2: Has information technology helped that cause? You sharing stuff via email when you're all not around, I presume everybody's kind of in their not, you know, dealing with their separate lives, different cases, or do you make sure that you come face to face?
0: No, information technology is important. Um, There's not every issue that you can discuss, but effectively, because we work in teams, uh, we never leave a client alone. If I'm on vacation, I know that my associate and partner is fully up to speed. Um, not all issues have to be dealt with, uh, with an exchange of information, but important files are worked on in teams and that's part of the strength. We see each other. I just walked next door and we're two, you know, offices down and uh, we exchange our perspectives immediately.
2: Now, how has information technology affected the way you service your clients, the speed of which your clients might expect certain answers? Has that changed the way you've had to function and operate within the firm?
0: Yes we have to react quickly. Information technology demands immediate response. Clients like everyone else want an answer to their question right away and uh, there's no way saying I'm not available, I'm not here. My BlackBerry is on every day, every minute. I'm a 24-hour attorney. Uh, clients can reach me at any time for urgent matters and that's true of all my associates and partners.
2: Is that, is that- difficult I mean it wasn't always like that we'd know you didn't have a BlackBerry for the last 35 years so was it difficult to kind of get into that mode what happens if you didn't do it
0: I don't think you could survive if you didn't do it you just slipped into the mode and now you're locked in it you can't leave without your BlackBerry you don't go on vacation without knowing what's happening on your file uh, there is really no rest as they say for the wicked not that attorneys are wicked but we're constantly dealing with each other and our clients even when we're away.
2: I'm I'm sure y'all you have your wicked moments. But now that you're talking about all your people have blackberries or all your partners, your associates, it's a mentality, it's a philosophy. But do you is it how do you get those people? There's a certain amount of talent that you want to recruit because that's how they service your firm. So let's let's kind of switch gears to human resource side and say okay, among the the, the last number of decades has it been difficult to get your talent, to keep your talent?
0: It's always difficult to attract new talent. We compete with the largest law firms in the city. Uh, We're not the so-called stellar, massive corporate offices, which many young law students and aspiring attorneys like to be with. Boutiques are different, our needs are different, and we're viewed differently. Uh, The growth potential is there but we really don't want to grow to a large size we're very happy specializing with the size we have so attracting talent is always difficult keeping talent is important not easy but we've been successful
2: anything in particular that you you do to keep the people around the table
0: Uh, we try as a good atmosphere we try to be pleasant with each other we try to basically uh, move forward Deal with the issues that bond us, and uh, as a team, we seem to have gelled.
2: Now there there is a constant need for professional development. I mean, uh, as you mentioned earlier on in the program, you know the laws there there are changes that happen all the time. You have to stay up to date. How has training become a part of the firm and keeping up to date on all the the nuances and the changes in the law?
0: Well, the bar requires us to do 30 hours in a two-year period. Most of us do far more than that. I would imagine lectures. 30
2: hours is not even enough.
0: No, absolutely not. So you constantly have to read. You have to keep up with the literature. You have to uh, basically spend time just being certain that the changes in the law are things you're aware of. But when you have 10 or 12 attorneys who are constantly doing that and you interchange ideas, um it facilitates it and makes it easier. It's not simple to keep up with the changes of the law, but that's what we do. We have to basically spend that time uh, on professional development and each attorney knows what they want to learn or what they don't know. They know their expertise and they know their deficiencies. So uh, I think we do a pretty good job in that respect.
2: And do you conduct formal evaluations of your people to know exact- so they know how they're doing?
0: Um, we have informal valuations. We're not large enough for it's formally done, but we do speak with attorneys if we think there are things they're not doing, if they're not keeping up in certain areas, we will discuss it with them. Um, and, you know, attorneys are receptive. If someone tells you how you can do something better, well, that's a good thing.
1: Do you look at an attorney's win-loss record or does that not really play into the evaluation?
0: You know, the win-loss record deals with litigation. Uh, That, of course, depends on the courts and the judges who plead before. Um, I feel that our attorneys are extremely competent. Do we win all our cases? No. Um, But then you can't be certain. There are certain cases where you can toss the coin. The law is not a simple um, proposition where it's always yes or no courts differ there's you know two to one judgments there's five to two judgments the Supreme Court of Canada comes down with judgments four to three so issues are not always simple it doesn't mean if you lose the case you're wrong it just means maybe the judges haven't seen it your way
2: moving to the next level you mentioned about growth uh, potential within a firm do you have specific criteria to become a partner
0: Uh, I would think what I look for in a partner is the desire to excel the desire to perform excellent service, the desire to be certain the client is satisfied, the desire to keep up to date with what changes are in the profession and uh, effectively to realize on the other side that with client growth comes the responsibility if you're a partner to be certain that your collections, your billings, your receivables are all in line without sacrificing the most important criteria that concerns me, that's giving the client the best service you possibly can. And that's what we do at SKM. That's what the attorneys do. They work as teams. And I believe I'm proud of the record that we've accomplished in these years. I think we give great service. I think our attorneys are really up to speed. And as I said, the strength of our firm lies in the members that compose it.
2: And I think as we said at the outset, you know, David wanted to talk about the matching of client service and running a firm. And I, I think his, his last statement really said it when you're looking for a criteria of a partner uh, within at least SKM, Sternthal, Kass, Nelson Montigny, it's client service. It's bringing passion to the table, bringing what you want to do, how to make the best for that client, because everybody wins at the end of the day, which most entrepreneurs pre- pre- pretty much understand. And
1: uh, when we come back, we'll talk next generation and succession. That's true, and uh, David has a son, and uh, not perhaps not joining the law firm. So we'll talk about that, and with Mike Newton of Fuller-Landau, will get into the issue of, uh, of nepotism as well, which is a really interesting one for many businesses. 7.48, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar, along with Fuller-Landau's Josh Miller, and our guests this evening, lawyer David Sternthal of sternthal Nelson montigny and we also bring in Michael Newton of Fuller-Landau. And, Michael, we're going to talk about nepotism, uh, because, uh, David, you have a son in law school, but not looking to get into the family business, at least not just yet.
0: No, I don't think he's interested in the family business. I think that's a good thing. He wants to strike out on his own. His interests are not necessarily coincidental with the boutique. Um, He would prefer dealing in larger transactions and effectively, I guess it's also difficult to come and work for your father's firm, people will look at it differently, and I compliment him on striking on his own. I struck out of my own, and I personally think I will be the only and last sternfall at SKM. He will go out on his own. Now,
1: Michael, I- with the family businesses you work with, uh, I guess the situation seems pretty rare because it's almost a natural that a son would sort of go into the to his father's. Uh, law firm.
3: Well, what I think what with the situation with David and his son is probably the first rule we like to try and address with most clients, uh, and that's really is send your son or daughter somewhere else first. Let them let them cut their teeth in a different environment. Let them make their mistakes, if you will, somewhere else. Let them learn what it's like to work for somebody else, and maybe mom and dad isn't that bad after all. I think it also lends certainly to the credibility factor. So when uh, you know, the daughter or the son comes into the business, and whether that's manufacturing or whether that's professional, if they've worked somewhere else. Else, and they come in with their own contacts and their own base. They're certainly coming in with a credibility, not not to Dad, but to everybody else around them. And that, that's that's a hard thing to walk into, especially in an environment like David's, where you know David's uh, David's name and managing partner and everything's there. Those are those are big shoes to fill. Uh, following Dad around.
2: Do you think that the kids know that? Do you think the next generation is aware of that? Is that something that that you kind of grow up with, or does that have to get trained?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of things that, that play into it. One, uh, ultimately being the fact that the new generation certainly uh, likes to strike out on their own, as David said, and, and create a name for themselves. So it's, a, it's kind, of a, a, kind of a natural, I think, to try and look somewhere else. Two, uh, I think it's it comes from you know somewhere in the exercise, David. I guess you did something right as a father because I think that open door of allowing him to go somewhere else, and I know that sounds very uh, <laughs> archaic in the thought process, but it certainly plays in, in many families where mum or dad says, no, 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 I want you to come in. In this case, obviously, you know you've left the decision up to your son to go somewhere else, and if he comes to work with you, and again, it's a big if, he will come to you because he wants to, not because he feels the pressure to come to you. And
2: yeah. then it's about management style a little bit is how do you deal with your son or daughter do you do you kind of ride them hard do you give them a tougher time or do you treat them like everybody
3: else. I think I think the key is is, is about trying to create fairness. I think it's, it's not much different than trying to coach your son or daughter at soccer or at hockey. I mean, we have a tendency of either being too lenient or too tough on them. Uh, I think within a, an office environment, if you have the opportunity, if the office is big enough, when they first come in, let them work for somebody else for a little while. Let them kind of, uh, to get that environment uh, so ultimately <laughs> you're not, uh, you know, somebody else says, hey, wait a second, you know, your son or your daughter actually is capable of doing things. Uh,
0: personally, I think that principle probably doesn't apply in the practice of law. Um, I personally feel that um, from the perspective of where you go, um, you have to feel comfortable and I believe some people like the big firm environment and I think really in the area of globalization where we're going, there are many benefits for that. Um, So effectively, um, speaking of my son's decision, I think he made a permanent decision. I would never influence him on what he would want to do, but I fully understand going forward that um, he doesn't really want to be in a boutique operation. And I personally think in his case that will never change. I think he would be an outstanding attorney wherever he went. But I do believe that in my case, Michael, I told you I'll be the last Stearnthal there. Uh, I don't think he's going to come back and um, I think he made a conscious decision
3: and I congratulate him on that because you have to, you
0: know, go forward with what you want.
3: hundred percent. I think that's, uh, first of all, I don't think that's a big shock that the very first word David says to me in this is is to disagree with me like a true lawyer, the first (laughs) thing that comes in. (laughs) Um, uh, Reality is, I think, uh, you're right, I mean, certainly in today's generation they have to do where they want to go and certainly that global aspect is certainly a big attraction to begin with
1: but quickly David were you disappointed when he said I don't want to come work for you
3: no not at all because um,
0: I was young once and I followed my passion and where I wanted to go and I want him to do the same so I would never try to influence him I want him to do what he feels comfortable doing because I said if you have the right work ethic and you persevere you can be a great attorney in a boutique operation in a large law firm and as i said in the world of globalization the world is changing and um, i i basically uh... he's a free spirit i want him to follow his passion which he did
1: more with lawyer david sternthal in a moment some pieces of advice from david sternthal for today's entrepreneurs coming up uh, but first uh... In with us as well josh is michael newton uh... from fuller Landau, talking about nepotism and family businesses and.
2: Their mentality, you know, you have a young son, daughter, uh, much younger brother sister that comes in. Uh, is there a different mentality and how can the entrepreneur g- de- deal with that?
3: Well, I could go on for hours because you've hit my two favorite subjects, nepotism and transition in family business. Uh, it clearly, I think uh, one thing to do as a parent, and it's very, very difficult to do, is trying to disassociate what you want Uh, and allow for what the child wants as as they move forward. Uh, Clearly if your child has an interest to work on large-scale transactions, as the case is David's, or to work in 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 an international environment, you have to respect that and help the child get to that stage. And at that point you use whatever tools and whatever exercise you can to coach them and mentor them and get them in that direction. Uh, And it may come at the price of not having them work with you. I mean some people would love to have their children work in the same environment or their brother or their sister work in the same environment. It's a very, very difficult thing, and certainly with the young generation that's coming up, there is no doubt that you cannot force them into anything. They have to make the decision as to where they want to go and what they want to do, and I think the more open-minded you are and the more uh, facilitating you are, uh, I think the better it's going to be for everybody involved, including out-of-work relationship.
2: And uh, and I believe David followed that advice by not pushing his son to do it, but letting him follow his own path.
3: Yeah, there's a there's a fine line between meddling and mentoring.
2: Yeah. So, David, as as we come to the last moment of the show, what tell us, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur?
3: Whatever
0: you do, do it with care. Do it with your client in mind. Basically, understand that from my perspective, the truth is your word is your bond and you're there to serve your client. And if you, as a young lawyer, go out and follow that perspective and work hard, you will succeed and you will have happy clients.
2: Thank you, David. And I think you know of the, of the number of things that he's mentioned today, and they're all very valid and, uh, and, and very positive, is client focus. If an entrepreneur focuses on that client, good things will happen. Things will fall into place. It's not to ignore the balance of the business because you always got to monitor, but if you have that client focus, all good things will follow. You have that mentality and that philosophy within the firm. That will permeate throughout David's associates, his partners. Uh, the team that works with them, and so on and so forth, then the clients will feel it, and they'll come back for more. So it's it's a it's a it's an excellent vicious circle, uh, and I think that David has portrayed that very well, and that's the big takeaway that I have from uh, from his story.
1: David Sternthal of Sternthal Katz Nelson Montney, thanks very much for your time this evening.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And thanks to Michael Newton as well from Fulalanda. Next week, Josh, it's our season finale. Next Monday night at 7, we'll, we'll be once again profiling the owners uh, of one of the, the oldest businesses in Montreal. 131-plus years in business, Fraser Furniture. We'll uh, have
2: Ross Ross Fraser on. Uh, And he's going to continue his story. We've heard a lot about the past. Now is the challenges of the present and the
1: future. Next Monday night at 7 p.m., don't forget, you can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit www.flmontreal.com. This is News Talk Radio, CJAD 800.